Theory sent this one, it's like, you just put your finger on it, like, that's it. Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. The legal system, money to be made. Keep your fingers out the treasure chest. Look, but don't touch. That's the black man's credit check. Let me see. But this ain't for the thing. This week, if you'd like to, to be with us this morning, or like to be with me this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple verses in Mark chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 16. This week, we are, and next week, and maybe the week after, I haven't fully decided yet, because then we start to run into Easter and it gets all clumped together, but at least this week and next week, we are going to have a short sermon series called, For the Love of Money. That's right. For the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about money and finances and all of that stuff, and I know simply the presence of a sermon series like this and the idea of talking about money can be the kind of thing that gets people's attention and not always in a good way. That, that for some, it's, it's confirmation. All the church really cares about is my money. All the, all the, the whole, they put on all this production just, just so that some will, will throw them a, a little bit of money. Maybe suddenly you just came to the realization that, that maybe we need to try out a couple other churches, um, at least for next week. He said it was a two-week sermon series, right? So, so maybe at least next week we should, maybe we should go try one of the other churches just for a week and just see. You know, it's good to shake things up every once in a while. We'll come back after that. But, but here's the thing, and here, here's what I want to explore a little bit as we walk through this. Money isn't a bad thing. Money's not a bad thing to talk about, and money's not a bad thing inside of our faith. Money can get such a bad rap sometimes when, when we as Christians try to wrestle how we handle all of this. Like sometimes we as Christians, we can tie up so much of our spirituality in money. You can't be a good Christian and be rich, because that means you're greedy. Or you can't be a good Christian and be poor. Because God would pour out his blessing on your life if you were good. And blessing must mean money. So if you're poor, you're a bad Christian. But if you're rich, you're a, a bad Christian. And so we, we tie up so much of what can be perceived as spirituality and how we understand God and our finances. And, and we can get so confused and lost in trying to understand money. But scripture, of course, will say that it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's, it's the love of money that, that's the root of all evil. And what that, or root of all kinds of evil. And what that means is that when money becomes our outlook on life, or when, when it becomes our identity, or when it becomes our, our priority, or when it becomes our mindset, when money becomes something that it can't be, not just that it shouldn't be, but that it actually can't be. That, that we can't find these things in money. We can try. We can live our lives trying to find our identity in money. We can do that. We can live our lives trying to find our outlook on life and identity. We can live our lives trying to shape our mindset around money. But we can't, money can't be that. And it's in those places that money becomes a problem. And because of that, what I don't want to do is I don't want to 
talk about this in a sense of just our money or, or just a sermon on tithing. I don't, I don't want to just talk about those things. I want to give a more holistic approach to understanding our view of money and its place in our lives and in our, in our relationship with God. I don't want to just teach a series on finances just focused on money. Because I feel like if we were to do that, that's putting the focus on the wrong thing. I want us to be focused on Jesus. I want our hearts and our lives to be focused around Jesus, and I want us to be able to see what, that what Jesus wants from us, and by extension, our money, and what our lives and our finances should look like when our focus is on Jesus. You see, sometimes as pastors, it's because as pastors, we can struggle with, with how we talk about money and when we talk about money and do we talk about money and, and all of these kinds of things. And, and we, we can get just as awkward as anyone else can and, and get just as disconnected from talking about it and trying to understand it and, and as anybody else can. And, and what this can end up leading is that we start to treat money almost like it's this other thing, that it's disconnected from everything else, that, that we look at what the Bible teaches throughout the year, but then a couple of times a year, maybe, we, we, we want to stop looking at that and take a couple of weeks to look at what the Bible teaches about money. But here's the truth. The principles that the Bible teaches about money it's the same principles that the Bible teaches about every aspect of our lives. There's not this separate section in Scripture on how to handle money. All of the principles that we talk about, all of the things that you know about God, about your relationship with Him, they form our view of money. Money isn't separate. Money isn't different. Money isn't unique. See, the principles about God that we understand shape how we view our finances. And how we view our finances is shaped by what we know and understand about God. We just did an eight-week series about God. God is good should help shape our finances. God is faithful should help shape our finances. God is sovereign should help shape how we view our finances. That, that somehow we're not going to talk about money and have it be totally disconnected from these other things. And so as we look at money and finances and tithing and all that over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be looking at is some principles in our walk with God that are principles in money, they're principles in faith, they're principles in evangelism, they're principles in every aspect of our relationship with God and our walk with Him that also, that we're going to highlight, affect our money. But we're not going to be talking about, well, what does the Bible teach on money? We're going to talk about bigger than that. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about just that. Something that shapes and guides our view of our money, but it's way bigger than that. I think that sometimes... Especially when, if, if we've served God for a long time, or, or even if we haven't, but, but I think that, that sometimes what can happen is that we end up in sort of this place where we can struggle with our connection to God, our relationship with Him, and how we walk that out. 
what walking out our faith looks like. What does it look like to not just know something, but to believe something and to act on that something? And I think that, that what we can end up is a place where maybe we convince ourselves that, that maybe not in our hearts, maybe, maybe we try to hold on to this belief and this understanding as long as, as we can, but the overflow of it in our lives is perhaps connected to a place where we realize that, or we begin to, to live in a place of unbelief when it comes to how God works in our lives. Unbelief in God's power in the lives of other people. Unbelief in God's ability to work miracles. Or unbelief in God's ability to comprehend my financial situation. When it comes to, to tithing and money, we can sometimes live in an unbelief that God actually wants my money. That, that when God talked about tithing, he was really talking about me. Like, like God doesn't really need to see my obedience in this. I, I'm not a big fish. You know, God needs people with lots of money to tithe. He doesn't need me to tithe. I don't make that much of a difference. I don't really matter. It's, I can't. I need to be in control of my finance. I don't have enough money to tithe. I don't have, I don't have enough money to give. I need to be in control of what's going on. And maybe even we can, we can try and, and make our unbelief a little more palatable a little more theological. Well, you know, tithing doesn't really come up in the New Testament very much. Well, that's not true. It does. But it, we can convince ourselves it's more of an Old Testament thing. It's not really something that we need to do. We can convince ourselves that miracles are a thing of the past. That, you know, we can pray for it, but realistically... God doesn't really do that anymore. We can convince ourselves that our neighbor would never come to church. There's no point in me asking them to come. I know them well enough. They're not going to come. So why would, I, why would I potentially damage my relationship with them if by asking them? They're probably not going to come anyway. I won't say anything. And we can take this unbelief mentality where we can minimize the risk, the faith in our walk with God, that, that we have the ability to preemptively decide for God what God is going to do and how he's going to do it or what he's not going to do and how he's not going to do it. And we think that because we have reasoned it out that it's not really that big of a deal. Or perhaps it all really makes sense now. It's not that I don't have unbelief. It's that reasonably I've come to the conclusion that, that God doesn't want me to do that. Or I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't want me to live by faith in this area. But instead, I'm going to just reason my way through all of this. And the reality is, is that this isn't some kind of judgy looking down thing that, that somehow from on high here on the stage... I look down on you and say, you're guilty. We all do this. Every single one of us here has done this, is doing this, will do this. We'll look at an opportunity where we can see God work and we can say, you know, maybe for another day. God's probably not called me to do that today. Each one of us does it. And if we go to, to Mark chapter 16, I can sort of build on 
how I know that to be true. In this passage, Jesus is giving the great commission. Jesus has risen from dead, arisen from the dead, and he, he is going to ascend back into heaven. But before he does that, he gives this charge to his disciples and by extension to all of his followers that would come after him. But it doesn't start there. Jesus doesn't just gather everybody together and say, hey, fellas, I got something to tell you. Go into all the world. But in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, it says this. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven. Now, I want to stop and highlight that here for you just for a moment. Because what this tells us is that this is Jesus' core guys. He had 12 disciples. Then Judas betrayed Jesus and then went on to kill himself. And so they haven't replaced him yet. But so this is, this is the 11 disciples, the, the 11 core of Jesus' followers, the, the, the core of the core, the closest to Jesus, the ones who lived life most, to the, most with him. This was his main followers. This was not a big group. This was not a massive group. This was a collection of those who were closest to Jesus. And that's important as we walk through this to remember that it's the people who are the closest to Jesus. Next it says, afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. Church, this is a picture of what we're going to try to drive home this week. I think that for many of us here today, this could be a real picture of where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. We are reclined at the table of our relationship with God. We're leaned back. We're just chilling. We're watching the world go by. Living our life without a care. Our neighbors, our finances, our prayer life, our world is just, wa we're, we're just watching it all go by. And we're just reclined at the table of God. Just sitting back. And I think that God wants to speak to some people at our church this morning, perhaps, that it's time to stop leaning back. It's time to stop leaning back at the table of life. It's time to get up and get engaged. You know that, that feeling, that moment that you have if you're in like one of those super deluxe comfy leather couches. And you've kicked your legs back and you've got the extension thing out and your feet are kicked up. And then you need to get up. And you kind of flail around like a fish out of water. Because everything's so squishy and so comfortable. And so you're trying to get up, but there's really no, no, nothing to lean against. And you're kind of trying to get your legs to kick the thing back in so it'll lift your back up for you. Some of us in our lives, we need to do that this morning. Is, is we need to be willing to be that fish out of water on the, the leather couch to, to, kick, to, get, to kick out of leaning back, to kick ourselves back up. This is what God is calling us, some of us, to do today. It's time to start this fish flail and get up from that recliner. And this may have to do with your finances, or maybe not. You may be sitting there thinking, well, that does kind of sound like me, but I tithe. And this is a sermon on tithing, so I'm in the clear until he talks about whatever it is that I'm not engaged with. Ha! 
Perfect. Whew, that was a close one. I was starting to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit just for a moment there. But then I remembered what we were talking about. And it's not me. But remember, we're talking about principles that are bigger in our lives than just our money. Maybe your fish flail is connected to tithing and money, or maybe it's something else. But church, God is calling us to sit up. To get up and to fight for the things that God has called us to do. For the life that God has called us to live. God isn't calling us to recline and rest on our laurels. To rest on the things that we have done. To rest on our religiousness. That hey, if anyone looked at me, they would think I was doing just fine. And that's all I really need out of life. That, that we need to not just rest and say, do you know how many years I taught Sunday school for? You can't touch that. that. That we can't just rest on the things we've done on our laurels to just sit back and watch some stuff. But God is calling you, God is calling us to action. To get out of this unbelief mentality and live like we believe. Back to the verses. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them. This is where this scripture begins. As Jesus appears in the room to his core guys, they're leaned back at the table of life, and the first thing he does is he rebukes them. Have you ever been rebuked before? Have you ever been called out by someone before? Where, where somebody walks into your life and in a moment says, hey, you're missing it. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're not able to, you're not doing what you're supposed to be. You're not living the way you're supposed to be. You're missing the point on this thing. This is what Jesus does to his disciples. He walks in and he rebukes them. Here is Jesus calling out his disciples. He's calling them on their stuff. And what he says, or what, what happens is, it says that he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. If you boil this rebuke down to its basics, the disciples were refusing to live as if their God was alive. It didn't matter to them what people said. It said that their heart had become hard. That people had come to them and said, Jesus is alive. Jesus, I saw him. He appeared to me. I saw him. And their heart was hard. They refused to believe that their God was alive. They refused to live as if their God was alive. It didn't matter what people said. It didn't matter what people saw. The lives they were living, the way they did their lives, it was not reflective of the truth that their God is alive. And Jesus was not having it. Jesus was not going to tenderly walk them through this season of their life and allow them to come to the realization. It says he rebuked them. He came in and he began to say, hey guys, let's, you, you are refusing, you've got a hard heart. You are refusing to believe what people had told you. And church, when it comes to our tithing and our finances, when it comes to our evangelism, when it comes to our neighbors, 
when it comes to following Jesus, to being the light in the world, we can be guilty at times of having a hard heart and unbelief to the truth that our God is alive. That we serve a living God. They're never going to come to church. I know them so well. They're bad people. Do you know how many times I've heard my neighbor swear when he's fixing on his truck? He's not church people. Why would I invite him to come to church? There's no way he's going to come to church. They will never get saved. We look at the people around us and we can think to ourselves, they will never want to come to Jesus. And we make a choice about somebody's potential spiritual destiny because we're not really sure if God's going to work in their lives. We think that we can't afford to tithe. It's not in the budget. My financial situation will not allow it. Forgetting the promises that God has made to us about his provision, about him being our source, and us looking to him for everything. And we make a choice about God and his blessings in our lives because we're not able to be sure if God is really going to come through. But we can allow this unbelief and hard heart to grow inside of us where we believe that God can't change things. An unbelief and a hard heart thinking that God can't. Whatever it might be that God can't. That I don't really want to pray for them because what if, God, what if I pray for them to be healed and God doesn't do it? How then do I look? I don't want to invite my neighbor to come to, to church because what if, I, what if they won't do it? I don't, think the, I don't want to give to God because what if God doesn't take care of me? I don't want to trust God with my family because what if God isn't trustworthy? I don't, we, we live in this tension of this unbelief that we serve a God who's alive. Now listen, because this is important. Because there may be a couple of thoughts running through your mind right now. That, that I know that a message that at least starts out like this, is really fertile ground for the enemy. That, that he can really come into our, our hearts and our minds at these kind of moments and really begin to tear us down and beat us up. There could be a couple of thoughts that are running through your mind as I talk about this. And I, I think probably for, for many of us, it's two kinds of thoughts. It's either pride or shame. Pride in the sense of, that could never be me. Ha, that's not me. I would never live like that. Or the shame of, yeah, that's me. God's, God's reading my mail on this one. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm not what I need to be. And this is where it's important that we come back to who Jesus was talking to. This is where it's important that we come back to where that verse began today. I want to remind you of who Jesus was speaking to at the very beginning of the verse. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven. Friends, listen. Listen. If it can happen to them, it can happen to us. They walked with him. 
They saw him heal people. They saw him walk on water. They saw him raise people from the dead. They lived with Jesus. They heard him speak. They saw him love. They saw him minister. He was their friend. He was their their leader. They lived every day with him. And in a matter of a couple of days, Jesus has to walk into their lives and call them out for unbelief in a hard heart. So if your heart and your heart right now is saying to you, that could never be me. If it happened to them, it can happen to you. But if your heart is saying, I'm weak, I'm a failure, that is me, that is exactly my story. I believe in God, but I don't live like I believe in God. It could happen to you, but it also happened to them. That the closest people to Jesus that have ever lived, I mean, in terms of proximity and all of that, It happened to them, and so it can happen to us. But for the disciples in that moment, when Jesus appeared to them, they discovered one thing very, very, very quickly. That despite their unbelief, and despite their hard heart to the fact of whether or not Jesus was actually alive, in that moment when Jesus appeared to them, do you know what they found out? Jesus was alive. That there was no more question or... He was there standing in the room with them. It's hard to be like, well, I don't know. They saw him. He was there speaking to them. They discovered Jesus was alive. And church, this is the hope that we have. The hope of the world. That Jesus is alive. Church, may our hope be restored. And so what now? What now, as Jesus has walked into this room with his disciples, given them, or called them out on their lack of faith and their hard hearts, the way that they were living their lives, the fact that they were reclined at the table of life, what now, what does Jesus do now? Verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." He says to them, go, stop living life like you think I'm dead. Stop living life like you don't have this higher purpose and higher power. Stop living life like you have nowhere to be, no place to put your trust, no place to put your hope. Stop reclining at the table of life and let's go. We need to go from here. We need to start living like we've got a God who's alive. And so what for us? What about in the areas of our lives where we have refused or we have been unable to live like our God is alive? What about us this morning? God says to us, stop living like I'm dead. Stop living like you can't trust me. Stop living like you have nowhere to turn for hope and for provision. Stop living like you are afraid that if I don't come through for you and go, go and I will. Go and I will come through for you. Go and I will be your provision. Go and you will see miracles. Go and you will pray and you will see things change. Go and stop living like I'm dead. Go and live like I'm alive. Go and talk to your neighbors like God will make a difference. 
Go and invite them to church like God will work in them to come. Go and pray for people like God is going to do something in their lives. Go and believe in miracles like they are really real for today because they are. And to tie this all the way around to where we started, go and place your finances in the hands of a God who's alive. You see, there's this place in Scripture where God gives one of the most unbelievable promises that he gives anywhere else in Scripture. A promise for you and for your life that I think every single one of us would want. Every single one of us would embrace with everything in our souls and our body, everything that we have, we would long for this in our lives. And it's a place where God even says, test me in this. Call my bluff. Say that I won't do this and then see what happens. Test me in this. God says this. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if, now here's the blessing he promises. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. Tell me you don't want that for your life. Tell me you don't want that. That you want God to pour so much blessing into your life that you will not be able to contain it. That God will throw open the floodgates of heaven, holy moly, and pour out blessing all over you so much so that you won't know what to do with this blessing. It's going to be leaking out the corners. It's ever so much. Tell me you don't want this. And God says, see if I'm not going to do it. Test me in this. The only catch is that God says that there's something that we need to do in order to see this blessing in our lives. God says this at the beginning of that verse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That, that can also be translated church. That there may be food in my house Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This incredible promise comes down to one thing. Can we trust God with our finances? God says, if you trust me, I will do more for you than you can imagine. That the blessings that I will pour out on your life, the blessings that I will pour out on every area of your life, I will pour out more blessing than you will ever know what to do with. All that I need for you to do is trust me with your finances. But we look and say, how do I know I can trust them? I can even add, I know how much I have. And I know how much I need. And I can do math. I, I can see the difference between those numbers. And I know that there's not enough there left over for you, God. And we can fall into a trap of a hard heart and unbelief when it comes to our money. We can read the promises and say to ourselves, yeah, but what if God isn't faithful? What if God doesn't come through? This is my home that we're talking about here. 
This is my family that we're talking about here. This is my future. This is my security. God, if I put my neck out for you and you don't come through, God, what is going to happen? And full disclosure, if I can be honest and and sort of vulnerable with you for a moment, I get nervous preaching this because I'm scared for you. As I, the pastor, stand up here and say to you, you need to tithe and trust that God will come through, in the back of my mind, I have thoughts that say, but what if he doesn't? This isn't your family you're talking about, Brad. This is their family. This is their home. This is their future. This is, this is their security. Are you really sure you want to place all of your trust in God for them like this? What if they can't afford to tithe? Then what are you doing to them, pastor? And I struggle with this. I almost left this whole section out of my sermon because I didn't know if I wanted to go there or not. But I was preaching a sermon on believing that God is alive. And so you and I, we together, have a choice. Do we serve a God who is alive? Do we serve a God who will keep his promises? Do we serve a God who can perform miracles? Do we serve a God who makes a difference? Do we serve a God who, when he says, test me in this, he dares us to test him in this, we know, that we, mean, we know that he means it and that we can trust him. Do we serve a God who will be faithful? See, this is so much more than just a principle of money. This isn't just a sermon on you, well, we need to give money. It guides our money, but it guides so much more than that. So let's make a choice today. God, let me live with everything I am. Everything even the areas that I don't want to. Let me live like I live for a God who's alive, a God who is alive in my evangelism, a God who is alive in his promises, a God who is alive in his miracles, a God who is alive in hope, a God who is alive in my finances, a God who is alive in my neighbor's lives, like we serve a God who is alive. Can I get an amen? Amen. Help me, God, to not be found at the reclining table of my life. But may God cause us to go and live for him. All the money that the world could hold Mountains made of Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to get new messages delivered directly to you. 
We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we Thank you. 